Well, good morning, New Life. It is so good uh, to be with you today. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Daryl Dash, and I'm a pastor, a church planter, not that far away from you, uh, at a church called Liberty Grace Church. And uh, I love your church. It is so good to be with you today. Uh, my privilege to be with you, praying for you. Uh, and I just want to look at God's Word together with you uh, for a few minutes. But before we do so, I wonder if you would join with me in praying as we look at God's Word. Father, it has been quite a week, and we come today, as we do every week, needy to hear from you. And so I pray that you would speak to us through your holy word. Uh, Father, we know that your word is not just words on a page, it's the very word of God. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take these words and do your work. Give us receptive hearts, give us eyes to see. Help us now, Lord, that these words that uh, we read would not be my words, but directly from the Word of God. And I pray that you would speak to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it has been quite a week. Um, I hardly know what to say. I was watching uh, the news, as, as many of you were, and really couldn't believe my eyes what I was seeing. We were, uh, we just finished 2020. Uh, I think a lot of us kind of knew 2021 would be tough. And uh, we're only a short, we're not that far into it, but um, the polarization, the COVID and the effect that it's taking on us, uh, the political situation in the States, it, it's so easy to look at this world and get discouraged. And what I found myself needing this week was to recenter, to come back to just the basics. And what I want to do with you today uh, for just a few minutes is I, I hope it helps you, but it, it really is what I sense I need to go back to the very basics and remind ourselves of who we are and what God is doing in this world. So I want to look at you with you at Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to uh, open them. Everything I say uh, should come from God's Word. And so let's read it together and let's ask God to speak to us as we read His Holy Word. Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ 
might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is God's holy word. I found myself this week uh, needing to remind myself the very basics of what God uh, has made us to be and what God is doing in us. Uh, we're a church. Uh, we began uh, 2012. We began to lay the groundwork for a church. And I'm so passionate because there aren't that many churches that are centered on this message. Uh, we began with a church for uh, with with two things in mind. Number one, we want to be a church that exists for downtown Toronto. And that way we share a lot of DNA with you. Uh, we feel called to the city. We feel called to be in the church, a church in the city, much as you are. But the other thing we, we found is we want to be a particular kind of church. And what kind of church? We want to be a church that's centered on the message that we just read. And what I want to do for just a few minutes is to look at two parts of this message. And it's really the gospel. We exist, you exist as a church, and so does Liberty Grace Church, for the central reason of proclaiming the gospel that we just read to a city that desperately needs it. I believe that the gospel that we just outlined, that we just read in Ephesians chapter 1, is the need of every person watching the sermon. And not only that, of every person in the city of Toronto. When we get this right, everything else begins to fall into place. When we get this wrong, it doesn't matter what else we get right, it will fall apart. And so I want to look at this passage. I We can't measure on this enough. We need to understand and apply and live in light of the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And as we begin to look at this, I want to say it's my prayer that this would just not be an academic uh, sermon, a look at some theological truths. My prayer is that what we're about to look at would sink deep into your life. My prayer is that you would encounter these truths at the level of your heart and that you would let these truths transform you. And so here's the first truth. Uh, really, who are you? Who are you? In verse 1, Paul tells us, uh, he begins by saying who he is, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. But then I want to hear who you are, uh, who the Ephesians are, indirectly who you are, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul was writing to uh, a church, uh, quite an ordinary church. Uh, I wish we had time to look at everything about the Ephesian church, but uh, very much like us uh, in a, an urban area, uh, ordinary people who, who lived in the city. And I want to emphasize there was nothing impressive, especially about the Ephesian church. There were people with financial pressures, people with way too much to do and not a lot of time, people with parenting and work and anxieties and pressures in their lives, people who were full of, of doubts and discouragements and struggles. In other words, people just like us. And you know, I want to look at what God called them. He calls them God's holy people, saints, faithful in 
Christ Jesus. You know, the word saint, uh, quite often we think of uh, a special kind of Christian who's elevated, uh, you know, within certain movements. Uh, the Catholic Church, for instance, a saint is a particular kind of, of Christian who's recognized uh, after they live uh, as being exceptional. Saint actually scripturally means holy one. It means somebody who's been set apart for, from uh, the rest of the world and has been set apart for God. It actually has nothing to do with human merit. It has everything to do with God selecting a person who is completely undeserving and sinful. God reaches down through the power of the Holy Spirit and regenerates them and brings them into the company of God's church. In verse 1, Paul makes the astonishing claim that everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ is a saint. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ today, I want you to know you are a saint. You and I can think of all the reasons why we're not. Most of us have so much junk in our lives that we wonder how God could put, ever put up with us. But here, Paul reminds us, every Christian is a saint. Uh, I want you to let that sink in. God looks at your life. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, in the middle of your struggles, in the middle of all your ordinariness, you are a saint. Well, how can this be? Paul continues in verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And he continues and says, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is one of the most important ideas you will ever encounter. It's mentioned over 150 times in the Bible. The, the terms I want to, the term I really want to center in on is faithful in Christ Jesus. Herman Bavink says, we cannot understand this unity, this being in Christ, in its depth and intimacy. It far transcends our thought. Here's what it means. Christ lives and dwells in you. You live and move and have your being in Christ. Christ is your life. Right now, if, if you have followed Jesus Christ, if you've turned to him in repentance and faith, you are so associated with Christ that you can be called in Christ. His life cannot be distinguished from yours. It's impossible to know where his life ends and yours begins. To paraphrase Bavink, you live in him as a fish lives in water or a bird in the air. Your life has been so identified with Jesus that when he was crucified, you were crucified. When he was dead, you died in him. When he was buried, you were buried. And when he was raised again and seated at the right hand of God and glorified, so were you. You have put him on. He is in you. He, you, you are perfectly fulfilled in him. You are so joined to him that what is true of him is now also true with you, true of you. When God looks at your life, he does not see your mess but he sees Jesus. And I want to remind you here how desperately we need to hear this news. This is how God sees you. Messy, stumbling, imperfect you. You are a saint. 
You are faithful, not because you are worthy, but because you are in Christ Jesus. This is the great news, the invitation that is extended to everyone who will come to Jesus Christ with empty hands of faith and receive all the benefits of salvation. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. This right away should completely blow your mind, but we're not even done. You are a saint. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you are in Jesus. So when Jesus looks at your, when God looks at your life, he sees you in your union with Christ. You are so united with him that you're inseparable. But then Paul goes on and verses three and on, he continues, he's, he's told us who we are, but in verses three to 14, he begins to tell us who we are. The reason I, I'm not going to look at verses 11 to 14 in so much depth, but I want to point out uh, that verses 3 to 14, the reason I read the whole passage, is because it's actually one sentence in the original. And really the whole of verses 3 to 14 is unpacking what Paul says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And verses 3 to 14 are basically unpacking what are these spiritual blessings? What are these, uh, what are the every spiritual blessing that, that God has imparted to us? All of the following are blessings that God has given us in Jesus Christ. I want to give you a sample. Uh, we could go on and, and talk at length about each one of these. But here's just a sampling. Verse 4, he chose us. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. As John Piper says, your salvation did not begin with your choice to believe in Christ. Which, by the way, is a choice that was real and necessary. Your salvation began, be, hear this, your salvation began before the creation of the universe. When God planned the history of redemption, ordained the death and the resurrection of his son, and chose you to be his own through Christ. This is a great objective, ground for assurance. Friends, not only are you a saint, not only are you faithful because you are united with Christ, but if you've trusted Jesus Christ, one of the spiritual blessings he's given you is before you were created, he knew everything about you, he knew everything that would unfold in history. And before you existed, before you were even known or loved by anybody, he chose you. He set his affection upon you. He chose you for himself. And verse 5 says that he's also adopted us. Verse 5 says, at the end of verse 4, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Adoption has uh, legal and relational implications. Uh, when you think about legal implications, adoption brings you into the family. It gives you all the legal privileges of being part of the family. It gives you access to the wealth of the family and all the resources of the family. We've been adopted into God's family. Uh, we are now heirs. We now have uh, access to all the wealth that God has, all the promises 
that God has, they are now ours because we are adopted by him. But you know, there's also a relational element to this. We are now in a special privileged position. We have a father who cares for us, who loves us. He knew everything about you, and yet he chose you as his child and has given you access to himself, your family now. Verse 7, another blessing is he set us free from slavery. Verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Slaves were common back when Paul wrote this letter. The way to set a slave free was to buy their freedom. That's what redemption means. Um, There would be somebody who was a slave and redemption would mean somebody came along and paid the price to set them free from slavery. And what Paul's saying here is we used to be slaves to sin. We were held captive by sin. We didn't even want to obey God. But Jesus bought our freedom with his blood. He paid for our freedom with his life. He set us free from the forces that held us in bondage. He set us free from slavery to sin. And if that wasn't good enough, verse 7 continues and says that he's forgiven us. In him we have redemption, it says. And then he continues, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Not only has God freed freed us from sin's power, but he also wiped the slate clean. It's as if you had never sinned. What I've learned about all of us is we carry this weight of regret and shame. I haven't yet met a person who, uh, in a moment of honesty, won't admit to the, the deep ways that they know that they've fallen short of not just God's standards, but their own standard. Everyone I meet, uh, we all sort of present a, a good face to the world, but we are so aware of all the ways uh, that we've, we've just disappointed God and ourselves. And here it says that Jesus, God has acted through Jesus Christ to forgive us, to forgive all of our trespasses. And I love what it says. He hasn't done this grudgingly. He talks about according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God does not forgive sins grudgingly. He has an abundance of grace. He is good at lavishing grace. That means giving more than we even expected. He is generous. He is not stingy. There is enough grace for the worst sinner. I used to have, she's passed away long ago now, but I had a grandmother. We'd go to her place and uh, we'd walk in her door and the first thing she'd say is, who wants ice cream? And of course, who doesn't like ice cream, right? And my mother would always be, uh, as a mother is supposed to be, you know, have a scoop, but then put it away. That's enough. My grandmother would be like, is that all you're having? She'd get the bigger bowl out and scoop it up. When I read this passage about um, the riches of his grace lavished upon us, that's what God is like with grace. God is not measuring it out sparingly. He gives grace lavishly. There's more than enough grace for all of our need for the worst sinner. But that's not even all. Verse 10 says, verse 9, begin there, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, 
things in heaven and things on earth. Friends, what he's saying here is we live in a broken world. We live in a world where it's very obvious that things are not right, where things are fractured, where things are not working. And verse 10 says, all of this is leading not just to a transformation of your life, but he is uniting all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The problem of sin, the problem of injustice, the problem of evil, the problem of corruption will be dealt with by God. We live in a world of uh, evil and chaos. God will bring one day everything under control, every part of rebellious creation. Harmony and order will be restored. Things that are broken will be fixed. This can't happen soon enough. Talk about every spiritual blessing. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, these things are so marvelous that you will never hear anything greater, either in this world or in the world to come. In this passage, we've looked at who you are, your new identity in Jesus Christ. And then we've looked at what God has done through Jesus Christ, what he's granted you. You know, all of this, because um, sometimes I, I find myself thinking about the gospel and it seems so abstract. If you were to summarize all of this in one word, I think the word that, that best summarizes what this passage is all about is Jesus. All of these, all of the blessings that he gives us in this passage are because of Jesus. His work, what he has done, our union with him, it's all about Jesus. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it well. If you leave out the in Christ in the first part of this passage, you will never have any blessings at all. Every blessing we enjoy as Christian people comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. God has blessings for all sorts and all conditions of men and women. Friends, you are a saint. I want to be known as a church and uh, I think you want to be known as a church that really has one subject. Um, and we talk about that subject in many different ways, but one central subject that we keep returning to over and over again, Jesus. Everything that is true of Jesus has now become true of you. He's chosen you. He's adopted you. He set you free and he's forgiven you. And through Jesus, God is fixing the world. And in a week in which the world is so desperately broken, I mean, it always is desperately broken, but in a week in which we're more aware of it than ever, we need this message of, of, of God taking ordinary people and transforming them into saints. And then God going to work in their lives and choosing and adopting and setting them free and forgiving, lavishing his grace upon them. And ultimately, that he will set this world right through Jesus. An old pastor said this, Are you ready for a new, old, revolutionary, deeply rooted, biblical, mind-boggling idea for your church? Here it is. Here's this mind-boggling, revolutionary idea. In your church's life, put Jesus first. That's it. 
His presence, his lordship must be taken with total seriousness. The priority of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a first truth that you can leave behind when you go on to deeper teaching. You cannot as a Christian or as a body of believers ever get beyond this. The most exciting pilgrimage a people can embark on is to seek and keep adjusting and readjusting to Christ and his firstness. And friends, that's why we exist. It's what God has done in putting us together as a church, as a couple of churches. We exist to be in Toronto, and we exist in Toronto to be about one person, Jesus, to announce to the world the good news of what Jesus has done. It begins with absorbing this good news ourselves and receiving and letting it transform us. And today I want you to soak in this good news. I want you to receive it. It's true of you. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, everything we've talked about is true of you. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to understand that Christianity is not about you measuring up. It's not about you reaching a certain level of obedience and God accepting you. The Bible reveals that we can never do this. The Bible is the good news that we can come to God with empty hands of faith and turn to Jesus and receive all of this as we turn to him and follow him. And as a church, our first and central strategy has to be about Jesus and his gospel. Friends, we can't believe this and not be changed. I want these realities to sink deep into your heart. I want you to trust Christ and receive all these blessings. And then I want us to stake our eternity on the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then after that, I want to commit to being the kinds of churches that put Jesus first and this good news first. Church begins with the good news of who God has made us to be and what he has done for us. Let me close with this. If you knew there was one greater than yourself who knows you better than yourself, who loves you better than you can know yourself, who can make you all you ought to be, steadier than your squally nature, able to save you from squandering your glorious life, who searches you beyond the standards of earth, one who gathered into himself all great and good things and causes, blending in his beauty all the enduring color of life, who could make real all the things you hoped were true. And if that one had ever done one unmistakable thing to prove, even at the price of his blood, that you could come to him, and having failed, come again, would you not fall at his feet with the treasure of your years, your powers, your service and love? And is there not one such? And does he not call you? Lord, thank you. We join in what Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Thank you. Father, thank you for taking us, struggling, ordinary us, and making us into saints who are in Christ Jesus. And then, Lord, doing all these things, choosing, uh, adopting, setting us free from slavery, forgiving, um, all these blessings, Lord, that you've lavished upon us. And thank you that you're setting 
this world right, that everything is going to be united and and uh, in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Thank you. Lord, would you grant for new life and for liberty grace the privilege of being a church that is all about Jesus and his blessings. I pray this message would sink deep into our hearts. And Lord, I pray that this message would be used uh, to transform the city of Toronto through weak people like us as we proclaim this message, change lives. I pray that this year would be a year of deepening uh, love for Christ in the life of of, uh, New Life Church. Lord, would you bless them? Would you encourage them, I pray in Jesus' name? Amen.